To turn back, please, to that passage that was just read to us a few minutes ago from Colossians chapter 1, uh, page 1182 in the Pew Bible, if you're using that, Colossians 1. I'm really going to be thinking about verses 9 to 11 uh, in a few moments. So while you're turning back to that, let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the great gift of your word that has brought people to life throughout the world as we've been seeing. Thank you that we have it in our hands this morning and we have the help and the promise of your Holy Spirit to enable us not only to understand it but to respond to it according to your will. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Langham Partnership, we have a vision statement which goes like this. Our vision is to see churches equipped for mission, growing to maturity in Christ through the ministry of pastors and leaders who believe and teach and live by the Word of God. So you can see from those words that we long to see maturity, we believe in the importance of mission, and we think that these things are encouraged and fostered through the ministry of people who are able to equip the church for those things. But what do we mean by maturity? What does it mean to be growing? I wonder if we were able to ask the Apostle Paul uh, one day, we said, Brother Paul, are your churches growing? I think we'd probably mean by a question like that, are your churches growing in numbers? Are people coming to faith in Christ? And of course, Paul would have answered, yes, uh, by God's grace they are. But for Paul, that was not so much church growth as gospel growth. In this letter to the Colossians, you can see there in verse 6 that he talks about how the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. So for Paul, numerical growth evangelistic growth was gospel growth. That's how he would have called it. So if we'd said, Paul, are your churches growing? I think he'd have said, well, I trust so. I pray so. It's what I want to see happening because that's what he's praying for in verses 9 to 11. This is the kind of church growth that he prays for. He says, we ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing, there's the word, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might and having great endurance. So for the Apostle Paul, church growth was growth in maturity. He wanted people to be growing up in knowledge and growing better in their fruitfulness uh, for the kingdom of God and growing stronger in their endurance as believers in a world of opposition. So I want to look at each of those three elements uh, as what growth is all about. Growing in the knowledge of God's story, the will of God, growing in living by God's standards and growing in God's strength, improving God's strength in verse 11. First of all then, verse 9, Paul wants us to grow up by knowing God's story. Paul prayed that the church at Colossae would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, when Paul uses that expression, the will of God, he doesn't usually mean God's personal will for my life. We, we sometimes use 
that we talk about finding God's will. And it's important that we do. We, we want to be guided by God. We want to know what God wants us to do day by day and in our choices and in our life story and so on. But I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here. Not God's personal will, but the will of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but Paul's letter to the Colossians and his letter to the Ephesians were probably written at the same time uh, from his cell in prison. They're very similar in many respects, and it's quite helpful sometimes to interpret one through the other and to see what he means. And very close to this same place in Ephesians, uh, i.e. the same sort of area of the letter, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about the will of God, verses 9 and 10. He says that God has made known to us the mystery of God's will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Here it is. This is the will of God to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Paul says that's God's plan. That's what God is about. In fact, he, he does repeat that in Colossians chapter 1 a little bit further on uh, in verse 19 and 20 where Paul says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Paul says that that is the whole plan and purpose of God. And in a sense, that is the story of the Bible. That's what the Bible is all about. It's that enormous narrative, that great big story, which takes us from, from the beginning of creation to the new creation at the end of the story and, and puts us into that narrative and says, there's where we are, that's where we fit. Christian maturity, growing up as a Christian, includes knowing how to use the Bible. I'm sure you know that here at this church because I know that this for more than 100, 200 years has been a church where the Bible is preached. So it's, 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 I'm not telling you anything new. But the problem is that some Christians still think of the Bible as either a book of rules, just sort of tells you what you're supposed to do, or as a book of promises, you know, nice bits and pieces of the Bible you can stick up on your wall and claim every day, or just a, a source of doctrines that we sort of alphabetize and list off. But essentially the whole Bible is a story. It takes us back to the beginning to act one, to tell us where we are, we're in God's creation and who we are, we're made in the image of God. It takes us through to act two, which is when everything went wrong because of the fall and our rebellion against God. And then it moves on to act three, which is God's great promise in the Old Testament, when God promised that he was going to bring blessing to the nations, promised that to Abraham. And then we move through into the New Testament. We come to Act 4 of the Bible story, which is the Gospel. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, the kingdom of God comes. Jesus is born and lives and teaches and then goes to the cross to bear the sin of the world. Rises again to proclaim the victory of God. That great Gospel narrative there in the center of the Bible. And then it moves on to Act 5 with the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, the birth of the church. And that's where we are in that part of the Bible story, in Act 5, carrying on the mission of God to the nations as we are sent out to make disciples at the end of the Gospel. And then that all points forward ultimately in the Bible to Act 6, which is the great climax in the book of Revelation when we see a new heaven and a new earth when the Lord Jesus returns. Now that, in a nutshell, is the Bible story. And that is what Paul the Apostle wanted the people in Colossae to know, to understand, and to live by. 
In other words, to recognize that we now live within a different story from the rest of the world. We know where we've come from. We know where we're going for, to. And we know that our life is fitting in to that great story of God. Part of the experience of growing up as a human being from babyhood into adulthood is the point at which you begin to realize that actually I am not the center of the universe. Uh, when you watch little children grow up, and we've had the joy of seeing our grandchildren grow up, you realize that it's perfectly natural that for about the first 18 months, two years of a child's life, they are the center of the universe. Everything revolves around them. Uh, and, and they take it for granted, they assume it. It's just, that's it. They are there, everything revolves around them. And then at some point they begin to realize there's a bigger story here. There are other people in the world, uh, and there are other issues that they need to address, and things they need to take, be concerned about, what other people feel and think. And bit by bit, we, we realize that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Of course, some people never quite grow up like that, and they remain very childish in the way they still see themselves as the center of the universe. And that can happen even as Christians, that even though we have come to faith in Christ, we still think it's all about me. It's all about me and my salvation, me and getting to heaven, or whatever else it might be. There's a lot of books that help to foster that illusion. It's all about how to do this, how to live a successful life, how to pray better, how to be a better husband, how to have a better walk with God, how to enrich my life and my experience of being a Christian. Perhaps we need a little bit of what the Apostle Paul is saying here, is that we need to grow up into recognizing that my life is part of the will of God, part of the plan of God and the purpose of God. So I'm not thinking quite so much about how do I fit God into my life as I'm asking where does my life fit into God's great plan and great story. I'm not so much asking just the question how do I apply the Bible to my life, my life being the center of reference, as how do I make my life fit into this great story of the Bible? Where is my part in this story? It's not so much asking the question, I wonder what kind of mission I can have for God in the world. That's not a bad question to ask as a young Christian. As asking, well, what kind of life does God want me to have that will fit with his mission? Do you see what I'm trying to say? We are recentering our lives around the centrality of God and the story of God and the purpose of God and the plan of God. That's what the Apostle Paul wants to happen. He wants these believers to grow up in their knowledge of the will and plan and purpose of God and then to live their life out of that story rather than just living our lives out of the story that the world around us lives the story of consumerism and pleasure and success and work hard have a family relax uh, reproduce repeat I mean, that, that's the way life goes we have a different story we are part of the story of God ask that question and grow up in that knowledge well, that then leads on to the, the second thing, that if we're called to live in the light of God's story, how do we do it? And Paul says that calls us then also to live by God's standards. That's what verse 10 is about. He says, I want you to live a life that is worthy of God, that is pleasing to God, and that is fruitful to God. Again, when you think about growing up, just going back to our own childhood, uh, often part of growing up is that you, 
you, you look up to somebody that you want to be like uh, or that you want to please. Some role model uh, that, that, in a sense, inspires you in what you do. Uh, for many of us, it, it may have been uh, one of our other of our, or both of our parents. In my case, certainly, I, I very much admired my father and aspired somewhat to be like him. He was a preacher, so perhaps that's uh, not surprising. I ended up as one. I remember wanting to be able to play rugby like my older brother Paul. Uh, you know, he was a role model. I, I wanted to to do what he could do and be like him. I, I wanted to sort of please my parents. You know get good results, all that kind of thing. There's a sense of growing up includes that sense of wanting to please those to whom you look up. Well, here we are as Christian believers, and Paul speaks of Christian maturity a bit like that. He says we should be trying to live a life that is worthy of the Lord, that in other words is a credit to him, that when people look at our lives they will think well of the God we say we worship rather than the other way around. That our lives are pleasing to him. That somehow the way we live our life puts a smile in the face of God. Have you ever wondered if your life does that? That lovely thing that uh, God the Father said about his son Jesus. You know, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. There was something pleasing to God about the life of Jesus. And it can be so for us too, says Paul. And a life that is fruitful for the Lord. Also there in verse 10. Effective, productive, producing results. Doing something that that God says, I'm pleased with that. I I love that. And there's a sense of accomplishment for God. That's what Paul says he wants these Christians to be growing up like. Well again we might say to Paul, well fill that out a bit. You know, Color it in. What exactly do you mean? He doesn't do it immediately in that verse. But if you look a little bit later on, he certainly does in chapter 3 especially from uh, verses 5 down to 14 where he gets to the more practical part of his letter uh, and he, he talks really about a change of clothing. Paul says if you're going to grow up uh, in Christ in this way you have to change your wardrobe. There is a sense in which he's using a metaphor I think that, that is something like this that you dress appropriately for whatever particular thing you're part of at that moment. You wouldn't have expected me to turn up here to preach in church uh, wearing what I was wearing this morning when I went in the, in the swimming pool in, in the hotel across the street, uh, you know, in, in, in shorts or a t-shirt or swimming trunks, because it wouldn't be appropriate. Uh, I'm dressed, in a sense, for this occasion, because this is the story I'm in right now. Um, but in the same way, I wouldn't be dressed like this if I was out you know, digging in the garden and, and working in, in, a, in a dirty environment. I'd put something else on. And Paul is saying we have to dress as Christian believers according to the story we are in, which is the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, now look, as Christians, he says, you have died with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. Your life is hidden with God in Christ. You are now living by God's story through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says there are some things you have to put off and some things you have to put on. Look what he says in verses 5 following. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming, and you used to walk in those ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of such things 
anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Do not lie to one another, since you have taken off your old self and its practices, and have put on... Now here's the take off, put on language. Taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, being renewed in knowledge of its creator. And then look in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves. You see the metaphor? You put off the old clothes, put on the new ones of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and so on. The words Paul uses in verse 5 are pretty strong. He says, put to death, get rid of these old clothes. He's not talking about you know, something that's just a little bit soiled and just needs to be put in the washing machine on, on Monday or taken down the laundrette or something. He's talking about the kind of filthy, vermin-ridded clothes that the only safe place is the incinerator. He says there are some aspects of life which a Christian should have nothing to do with. There are some ways of life, some patterns of behavior which are simply incompatible with being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says they've just got to be got rid of. There's no place for them in a Christian's life. And he has these short lists there in verses 5 and 8 and 9. He talks about sexual immorality, about greed, which is uh, a much more socially acceptable sin these days. He talks about emotional violence in verse 8, anger, rage, malice, slander. He talks about abusive language, filthy language, verbal abuse. And he talks about lies and deception, lack of integrity. And those are the kind of things that are all around us in society. They were in Paul's day, and they still are. And Paul says the life of a Christian who wants to grow up to maturity must include some element of ruthless rejection of those ways of life. It's not easy especially if you've come out of that way of life. But Paul says, you have. He actually says to these believers, this is how you used to live, but no longer. So there's that which has to be put off, but then also there's putting on the new clothes in verses 12 to 14. A beautiful, as a, almost a kind of Christian uniform. Not in the sense that Christians are all supposed to just look exactly the same, but there is a sense in which when you see someone in uniform, you know, a policeman or a nurse or, uh, or a train guard or whatever, once you see someone in a uniform, you know what they represent. Uh, you, you know who they belong to, who they work for. There are certain expectations you have because of the uniform. And Paul says there should be some things that are Christian's uniform. So instead of sexual immorality, there's cleanness, holiness of life. Instead of greed, there should be compassion and kindness and generosity. Instead of abusive talk, there should be gentleness and humility in a Christian's life. Instead of impetuousness and rage and anger, there'll be patience. And instead of revenge, there'll be forgiveness. And instead of lies and deceit, there'll be integrity and truth-telling. And instead of self-centeredness, there will be love for others. Paul says, that's the way I want you to grow up, Colossians people of Edinburgh, people of Charlotte Chapel, if he was writing to us, he says, that's the way I want you to grow up, knowing God's story and living by God's standards, says the Apostle Paul. Well, that leads us on then thirdly and finally to verse 10. Knowing God's story, living by God's standards, verses 9 and verse 10, and thirdly, proving God's strength in verse 11. 
where Paul says, I want you to grow up being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Again, growing up uh, in human life includes growing in physical strength in normal Christian development. Even uh, baby Jesus grew up in that way. Luke tells us twice, doesn't he, in in Luke's gospel that, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature as the old version has it. In other words, he he grew up in his intelligence and he grew up physically into adulthood. And that's the way it is also for us. Uh, I remember as a a young boy being very worried about being skinny, as I was uh, up until about 12, 13. I was a skinny little fellow, and I certainly wanted to grow some more muscles. Uh, And I remember going to the gym in secondary school and, you know, working hard because I wanted to uh, put a bit of flesh on. I had that sense of wanting to grow physically stronger, like my big brother. Well, I actually ended up being bigger than him, but never mind. He was, he was the, the rugby player, 10 years older than me. But Paul is talking here not just about bodybuilding growth, you know, just growing huge. Actually, he uses the language of endurance, which is a different kind of strength, as we know, as you sort of watch the Olympics or, and you see not just the, the, the sprinters and the, the weightlifters, but those who have the endurance of the marathon races and the endurance sports. One of my personal heroes uh, is Steve Redgrave, because uh, I did end up rowing at school and university. And he is, of course, as you know, five times Olympic gold medal winner in the sport of rowing, which is one of the most endurance sports there is. So for between 16 and 20 years, he was at the peak of, of fitness, of endurance uh, of those races. I took a look uh, in the Guinness Book of Records just to see some of the records of endurance. Apparently there's somebody called Eamon Keane, who not surprisingly is Irish, um, who in 2003 had the record number of bench presses in one hour. Believe this, he pressed 1,280 times at 200 pounds, 493 times at 100 pounds, totaling 305,300 pounds in total in one hour. Well, that's some endurance. But here the Apostle Paul is not talking about Olympic records. He's not talking about spectacular athletic feats. He just wants everyday ordinary Christian believers to have the strength of endurance for the Christian race throughout the whole of their lives. Patience and endurance. The Christian life is for the long haul. It's for stamina. It's for those who are going to go on and keep on keeping on in the midst of a culture and a world which constantly is driving us in the opposite direction. And it takes courage, uh, it takes endurance, perseverance to go on doing that. And in today's world, which was not that different from Paul's world, the cost of being a Christian and a follower of Jesus could often be very high. Believers need maturity that is witnessed to by endurance. And that is often the case. We think... Uh, of our world today, like countries like we were seeing on the screen of India, uh, where we know that when people come to faith in Christ out of those kind of backgrounds of Hinduism or, or, or Islam and some other parts of India, they are going to pay a price for that. Uh, there is a challenge, there is a cost, often sometimes literally a life cost. Or think of other people in, in Pakistan or in some parts of Nigeria or Sri Lanka or the Middle East countries at the moment as we've seen. Christian believers need endurance. 
And that's the kind of maturity that we want to see developing. One of the amazing things that, uh, that we in the Langham Partnership are constantly impressed with, though, is precisely what Paul says, not in verse uh, 10, but in, 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 sorry, not in verse 11, but just in verse 12, where he says that they will have strength and endurance, giving joyful thanks to the Father. So this is not the kind of endurance that includes grimaced, gritted teeth, you know, I've got to stick this out. It is endurance with joy and thanksgiving. And again and again in our work in Langham Partnership, we, we are humbled to see people in some of the poorest parts of the world with virtually nothing of this world's goods who are often suffering or enduring uh, opposition and persecution and yet they're preaching the gospel, they're teaching their people and their, their, their faces and their reports and their emails are full of joy. And the privilege of serving God. Uh, not whinging and complaining and grasping, but just rejoicing in what they see God doing, even in those tough circumstances. So Paul says, I pray that God will give you strength so that you will have endurance. You see the combination of both? Uh, we pray for strength, but we practice the endurance. Uh, any athlete knows that. There's some element of what they are is what they've been given. Uh, by their physical capacity, uh, the size of their lungs or the length of their legs or whatever else it is. So there's a certain giftedness about being uh, a strong athlete, but there's also that element of commitment, determination, and training and going on. Well, there it is. Those were the three verses and the thoughts that I wanted to bring to you. Uh, as I said at the very beginning, our vision within the Langham Partnership is to see churches and believers growing in that kind of maturity. We rejoice with all believers when the church grows in numbers, uh, grows evangelistically. And praise God it is, as we heard in that uh, DVD, the church in North India is growing phenomenally fast. It's incredible. And those who lived and worked in India uh, before about the 1990s would always have said that the north of India was the missionary's graveyard because uh, there was a only tiny, tiny fraction of Christian believers. And by God's grace now, many, many people from poorest backgrounds are flooding and becoming followers of Jesus. And we thank God for that. The question is, are they not just going to grow in numbers, but are they going to grow in depth? Are they going to be discipled? Are they going to be taught the word of God? Are they going to know the story of the Bible and grow in the way they live and bear witness by God's standards and grow also in their endurance? That's what I hope we'd be praying for ourselves that we would be people who live by God's story and live by God's standards and prove God's strength. And that then we also are committed to supporting and resourcing those who are seeking to do that and to help others do it and live like that, such as Langham Partnership and the other agencies that you support. Let's pray together.